It's Theopop, episode two. The one where we lasso the moon for you. Go ahead. Make my day. God have mercy on your soul. Welcome to Theopop. He's David Gaddy. And he's Jeremiah Orr. And together we're exploring art, culture, and entertainment from a spiritual point of view. Hey, David. Hey, Jeremiah. I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you even included the, uh, the voice in your... Uh, my, my Jimmy Stewart. Uh, your Jimmy <laughs> my Stewart. My very That's, poor Jimmy Stewart impression. <laughs> That's a good Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, hey, you man. want me to lasso the moon for you, Mary? Hey, Mary. lasso the moon. Hey, Mary. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart is one of the all-time greatest actors, period. I love, I I love, mean, I love Jimmy Stewart. I fell in love with him the first time in my government class that we watched Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Oh, yes. So good. And, and I mean, you just You don't even his, know what a his, filibuster is. Watch that movie. Watch that movie. Man, it, his swagger, his, I mean, his look, everything is so classic. So, yeah, mm-hmm. James Stewart, incredible. Uh, there's so much to be said for, for this oh, movie. Yeah. But, uh, this movie, <laughs> anyways. Uh, and uh, Vertigo, uh, I yeah. love Vertigo. Vertigo oh is my, my all-time favorite uh, Alfred Hitchcock film. Yeah. Um, and then you've got. Um, have you ever seen? It's it's kind of a, a little rare jewel, but it's called You Can't Take It With You. Oh my goodness! I've heard of that. Is that another uh, Capra movie? No. Um, but it predates this, like it's like 1930 something when that movie came out, but it's really funny. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You'll need to check it out. I think it has Lionel Barrymore in it too. It's been so long huh. since I saw it, but I remember it's a, it's a great little piece. And then of course there's the other Alfred Hitchcock film, Rear Window. Yes. With Grace Kelly. <laughs> so yeah, so much, so good. So, but brilliant, yeah. brilliant stuff. And I think this Anyways. movie is his prime. Like this is he yeah. is he's right in his prime in this particular movie. Absolutely, so, so good. So, anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves. How yes. you been doing? I'm doing quite well, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's was it a good week. Yeah, we're we're coming up on uh, Christmas time, and it's so it's Christmas. Yeah, it's <laughs> the most wonderful time. No, no, no. Thank God it's them instead of you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, the most the most selfish Christmas song ever. There won't be snow in Africa this Christmas, which is like an obvious statement. <laughs> that song is my all time. Do they know favorite it's Christmas time? Cringe worthy. 
Christmas song ever. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's good stuff. If you know, then you know. You gotta go listen to that song. Though I found it. Did you see I posted on Facebook I found a uh, a parody of that song by the Lutheran satire people? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. So good. I love it. I love Lutheran satire too. My so, favorite parody with Lutheran satire is the one where they're they they're selling the nativity mm-hmm. scene, and the lady's like, "I don't know. My neighbors aren't really religious, but they go to church." And he said, "What denomination are they?" And the guy goes, or the lady goes, "Well, that they're the denomination that does a lot of like religious stuff without believing anything." And the guy goes, "Oh, Episcopalian." <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! So yeah, you know what, Father Wesley, hear you? <laughs> Seriously, I don't think Father Wesley's, Wesley's listening. Imagine, oh, we should send it to him. Yeah, I should tune him into it though. Mm-hmm. He'd be a good guest for Theonauts. He really would be. Very, yeah. we could research the history of the Church of England. Yeah, which <clears throat> is that the same thing as Episcopalian? Yes, much, pretty much. I think. Okay, like it's just an. I think that's of it, the roots. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so <laughs> so now that we're this is our second episode of Theopop. Um, what were your thoughts on our first episode? How do you think? How do you think it came out? How do you think it went over? Well, it was really fun for you and me. I felt like it was a little messy, yeah. uh, but I think that that it's really. <laughs> It's it's a blast, so I don't care, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I I, uh, I went into Theopop thinking that it would be a lot easier than Theonauts, and it ended up being harder. Um, <laughs> well, and I think that was probably partly because of the subject matter of our first study. We did evil, right? Yes, that yes. great show, and uh, you know, it was so deep that there was just so much to pull out of it. And, uh, and so I think that this episode is going to be a way a lot easier than, yeah. than the other one. But uh, all, all, all in all, I would say that it's probably one of my favorite podcasts to do. So yeah. Theonauts is great, but this is kind of a breath of fresh air for me. What about you? Well, yeah, I, I like it because, well, for one, I am a film and book geek. So, like, this is right up my alley and... Um, I have kind of wanted to do this sort of have an outlet for this sort of thing to talk about the, uh, movies and such for right. a while anyway. And so I think this is a, I think, I think it's a great too. Uh, and, and I do think it's a little easier than Theo Nods because some of this just kind of comes natural and it's sure. just fun to geek out about uh, some of these movies. And sure. so, but yeah, I think it, I think it, it went over well. Um, you know, I, I talked to some people who listened to it, but had not seen the, the, the series yet. So, right. um, you know, it was a little bit of a mixed bag because of that, but, um, I don't know. I think, I think it was good. I enjoyed it. And, um, so, and we, for its first outing, it didn't do bad. It's right. had, it's had around 30 or 40 listens so far. So, um, and for, for the first so that, that you know, that's really small. We need to boost that a little bit. But well, it's the first episode. But I think, yeah, exactly. I think as time goes on, and you know, I don't even remember how many we had on our first episode of Theonauts, but yeah, but uh, it, yeah, it started out slow too. Yeah, but I think as time goes on, people are going to catch on to it. And uh, I think that this episode, in particular, because of the subject matter, 
people are going to want to listen in a little bit more, especially because of the time that mm. we're doing it. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. But Greatness. Anyways. Well, you ready yeah. to get started on it? Dude, I'm, I'm so pumped and ready. Let's do it. Okay, so the segue I have to play is a modern movie trailer for it. Because, you know, trailers have, have evolved right, over, over the years. In 1946, you weren't getting the same style of movie trailers that you get now. In and, a world. And the classic <laughs> movie trailer was actually no words. Like, nothing. No, it was, right. All it was was... Uh, text showing up on the screen over the over the the picture and i was like well i can't like use that <laughs> <laughs> so i've got some somebody in film school or something like that made a modern film trailer of it so that's why this sounds a little more modern than what the movie actually is but here we go awesome let's do it well, it's against the law to commit suicide around here and it's against the law where i come from too where do you come from heaven what did what, you say just a minute ago? Why do you want to save me? Was it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. I'm leaving right now. I'm going to school. This is my last chance. But they'll vote with Potter otherwise. You can't laugh off this Bailey Park anymore. Bailey family's been a boil on my neck long enough. You realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. I'm worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them? I suppose it would be better if I'd never been born at all. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been born. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. So, the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, yes. Amazing movie. Uh, When was that? So, do you remember the first time you ever watched this movie? Hmm. The first time I ever watched it. I was was an adult. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, I was probably in my 20s. First time I, I saw this. Um, huh. But no, I don't remember the specific event. Uh, our family kind of started it, like Melanie and I kind of started it, and we just kept making it a yearly thing for years. Oh, yeah? So, well, but yeah. I, I was at... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, so I was at my grandma's house, and she had it on VHS. And she had one of those old VHS players that... Was the pop-up, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, like, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> yeah, so you push the button, it pops up. Had one and then of those. you put the V. <laughs> just, of course you did. But uh, I was shocked when I first saw it because, you know, I'm a child of the 90s. What so for that? me, it was. Exactly. So I put it in and press play, and I watched it, and it was in black and white. I, they didn't have the color version, they had the black and white version. Um, the color, version, the color doesn't, version doesn't even exist in my book. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I like the color version. I mean, it's it's nice. You know, they have it in 4K Ultra now. Like, the, the seriously, color, the color version. Yeah, oh they've my. they've they've made it in 4K. You can you can buy it and uh, watch it in 4K now. But it, anyways, I was just blown away, and I watched it by myself in the den of my grandma's house. It wasn't even Christmas time. It was just I watched it. And I just remember thinking, this is the greatest thing. Like, this is incredible. And so I kept watching it and watching it. Just just (laughs) an amazing movie. But, uh, yeah, it's 1946 when this came out. Um, Let's talk about, we've we've talked about James Stewart a little bit, but Frank uh, Capra's is the director. Mm -hmm. RKO Studios. Like, I mean, this is classic Tinseltown movie, right? It came out the same year as uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Yes. And Miracle on 34th Street blew it away, like, straight out of the box. In fact, it was nominated for, like, It's a Wonderful Life was nominated for, like, six Academy Awards. And it won one for the the set design. But other than that, like, it didn't win anything else. And it didn't even make, they lost money on it. It didn't even make money. And it it was so it was like it was so like yeah it was so mixed reviewed that the the company dropped the licensing on it mm. so nobody it, it went into obscurity until the seventies mm. like nobody watched this movie until the seventies whenever a network TV uh, station picked it up because it was free. <laughs> and they didn't have to pay right. any royalties in order to premiere it during Christmas. And so they started showing it at Christmas every year in the 70s. And then it became a classic. Yeah. Like everybody was like, oh, this is a great movie. Which <laughs> blows me away that, you know, not many movies are like that that become like all time. Number in 2007, it made the all time greatest movies mm. list on number 20. You know what I mean? Well, so in a way, it kind of makes sense because. It's kind of hard thinking back. We live in a completely different world as far as media goes. So back in the day, yeah. but before you had home video, um, you could see a movie at the theater, and that lasted, you know, a month or two, and then the movie was gone, and you couldn't see it again. Like, it was gone. If you were ever going to see it again, it was going to be in syndication on TV. Right. So, yeah. so like if a if a movie ever got picked up by the networks, and and played every year or something like that, well, then it gained all this traction. Then, so like sure. for example, as a kid growing up, of course, in the seventies, we didn't have VHS players, didn't have HBO, didn't have you know this, <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, I remember the movies that we would watch on TV regularly were Wizard of Oz. Um, yeah. You know, it was like th- when these movies came on, it was like an event, you know, Sound of Music. That was another one I remember that would you know, come on right? like, oh, Sound of Music is coming on. We've got to watch it. And so uh, this one kind of fit into that. Like it became one of those, you know, often played, aired every a- annually or whatever it would be played. And so, yeah, right. it, it kind of makes sense that it would land the way it the way it did. Um, but man. That's right. But you're right. Like it was, it was fraught with problems. Uh, what the version yeah. that we watch now is not even the original version, because the no. original version they had to go back and do reshoots because it it's it screened so poorly, um, and that was the original version didn't even have Clarence the Angel or any of this uh, framing right. mechanism 
about uh, the angels coming to help him. Like none of that was in the original. Um, so yeah, but that all that said, this is an amazing. <laughs> this is an amazing movie. Yeah, from an existential standpoint, I love this movie. <laughs> like, uh, I, I relate to George Bailey. Like, <laughs> yeah, like uh, I, I I see things in George Bailey that I'm like, yeah. But uh, talking about uh, Jimmy Stewart for a minute. So Jimmy Stewart, yeah, I mean. Jimmy Stewart. By this time, this was 1946. He had he was already a. a uh, um, he was always already a successful actor, and he actually uh, was drafted into the military. And in uh, World War II, he actually was a bomber pilot. And um, and because he was an actor, his superiors kept him stateside. And wanted him like to be in all these infomercial type of, you know, propaganda films to support the war and this yeah. sort of thing. And he was like itching to go be with his with his friends and to serve in the in the war with them. And so he just kept making a big deal out of it until they finally sent him out. And he went and did um, a, a huge tour as a bomber pilot. And um, as a result, experienced a lot of battle, saw a lot of friends die. Uh, I think it, it was said he, he witnessed over 130 of his um, of his fellow soldiers dying uh, in wow. planes and, and this sort of thing. And so uh, by the time this movie hits, which actually touches on the war, right? And, yep. and uh, when this movie comes out, he has already been diagnosed as shell-shocked. Today, we call that PTSD. Right. And so a lot of what you're seeing in these scenes you're the, of Jimmy Stewart's emotional reactions and, and near the end when he's nearing collapse and all this is not a lot of acting. Like he's, he's really kind of in this place when this movie yeah. came out. <clears throat> so I just think it's a, it's a tremendous performance. Um, well, I think the whole cut... Uh, cast is, is genius. The 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 movie, the script, the original script wasn't even written for with Jimmy Stewart in mind. It was written. Uh, oh, what's the guy's name? Another famous leading actor, and I can't remember. And he he turned it down, and so they ended up getting Jimmy Stewart. But they mm. were even. I mean, I can't imagine anybody else playing George Bailey no. except for Jimmy Stewart. He's and here he was. Six foot four, 145 pounds. <laughs> like this, right. This bean pole. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I mean, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch is oh, so she's genius. I mean, the her her soft spokenness yeah. is is perfect against the backdrop of Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And so their their chemistry on set is amazing. And then my one of my favorite uh Mr. Potter, the guy that that guy that plays Barrymore. Mr. Potter, yeah, Little yeah. <laughs> Barrymore, and he was like the their last pick for Mr. Potter, but he, he was perfect for it. Uh, he was in a a radio drama uh, as Ebenezer Scrooge before this, mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like it's just so fitting that he <laughs> would play the yeah, fit right in, right the villain in this. And then um, who's the guy that plays Clarence? 
Oh man. He's he's perfect too. Yeah, I don't remember the, uh, the actor's name. Henry Travers is his yes. name. Yeah, Henry yes. Travers. That guy, I mean, just nails the part of Clarence. I you can't imagine Clarence as anybody else because he's just <laughs> so like little and you know oh my goodness. When he bites the police officer, hmm. yes. you know what, <laughs> it's one of the greatest scenes ever. Bert. I just Yeah, Bert. So yeah, no, this Bert is where, Ernie. Bert and Ernie. This is where the Sesame Street got Bert and Ernie. Was from it's this movie. not. It, they, that's an urban legend. Uh, how in the world it, could they have gotten it otherwise? They say that it's <laughs> not. I've you know I've read both sides. Mm. Of it. I don't know. Maybe it is, but I can't but, imagine uh, that seems awful coincidental. The creators say it was just a co- coincidence. The creators okay. of Bert and Ernie say it was a coincidence, but it's perfect. I mean, hey Bert. Anyways, yeah. so. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the cast is just genius, and and the story as well. When it came together, is mm-hmm. just it's perfect. It's so makes good. you cry at the end. Oh, it makes me cry <laughs> every time. I've seen this movie. I know I've seen them a hundred times. I had to have seen it a hundred times, and it's still <laughs> I still cry in it. <laughs> right? It's just yeah, beautiful. It's, so it's so good. Like, um, oh man, at the end when Harry's like. Uh, to my older brother, the richest man in town. Like when <laughs> that's just like the the waterworks, just like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. So let's oh, talk man. about some of the themes going yes, on. Yes, there's. It's it's very interesting that the themes in this in this. Uh, so you pulled out three main ones, and I I haven't added add on, but uh, let, let's hit it. So okay, so um. Wanted to talk about sacrifice, like self-sacrifice in an honorable way. Um, What we're going to see in George Bailey, I mean, obviously George is the, is the main character. He's the one who is in dire need at the, at the beginning and everyone's sending up their prayers for him. And uh, we get a look at his entire life. And George is, um, George is a is somewhat of a conflicted character because he's got all these hopes and dreams and plans and he's excited to take on the world and he wants to be a big person in the world. He wants to make a big splash. He wants to be he wants to go on adventures. He wants all this stuff. Like he is he's got so much aspirations and 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 such a big heart for um for excitement. Um, but he never gets to experience it. And you might say because of outside things that happen, but I don't believe it's because of outside things that happen. It's because of an inside thing. Every, every time he misses an opportunity, it's not because he got the short end of the stick or that life dealt him you know, the wrong hand or anything like that. It's because he sees a need and he meets it. Like he, he, he realizes if I don't do this, nobody's going to and makes a sacrifice for the good, for the betterment of people, for his concern for people, for his concern for his, his family, concern for his fellow man, like all the sacrifices that he makes throughout this um, film deny him his dreams. They deny him of um, 
of what he says he wants to do. And he's kind of blinded into as to the actual sacrifices he's doing. Like he doesn't even realize he's doing it. It's almost like this internal nature that's kicking in this sense of honor that he can't seem to recognize in himself. Um, right. I would call him the reluctant hero um, mm. more than anything else. He's a reluctant um, in almost every single one of these times that he's, he makes a sacrifice or chooses um, other, other people in, ahead of his own hopes and dreams and aspirations. He's reluctant about it, yes. but he, he goes ahead and does it. And so uh, do you have a clip there? Let's start with the, I do in a minute. I wanted to start with his, I wanted to start with his, his childhood. um, Whenever he he saves his brother's life. So that's really the first sacrifice we see. Um, Yeah. So he's, we, we see this, this scene where they're playing in the snow and they're, he's 12 years old and his younger brother, Harry is, Sliding down the hill. They're both sliding down the hill onto this ice pond. And right. and we see, you know, uh, George mocking his baby brother a little bit. You know, he's like, now H- Harry, the, the, the baby is, is going to, the scaredy baby. <laughs> and he's right. like, I am not. And, <laughs> and, and, and because of that dare, he slides and, and, and goes all the way across the pond and falls in. Um, but George immediately without even thinking dives in after him and saves right. his life. As a result, he loses the hearing in one of his ears. Right. He gets sick and, and the infection causes him to lose hearing in one of his ears. So that's the first real sacrifice we, we see of him. Um, well, yeah. And, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's a bookend scene to me too, because at the beginning of the movie, he, he's diving in the water to save somebody at the end of the movie. He's doing the same thing. Yes, very good. He's not. Yeah, he's not even thinking about it. Whenever, whenever he does it, I mean, it's just his natural reaction, right? Yes. Yes. I'm gonna go save my brother, and he ends up, you know, losing losing hearing in one of his ears, and then, you know, as he's so we're we as the audience are confronted with this this idea of altruistic sacrifice at the very beginning of his Mm -hmm. you know of his life, and so we from the onset, get the type of character yes. that, that, uh, that this guy is. That and that he's, is. he's somewhat humble about it. Like he doesn't see himself as a hero. No. Um, and, and, but yet he just feels like when a need arises, he rises to that occasion. Like he takes care of what needs to be done. So um, I do have a clip for this next one because we're going to start to hear some of his, dreams and the things that he wants to do. And we're going to start to see some of the pressure uh, that keeps him away from his dreams. So this first clip comes from, he's a teenager or he has just graduated high school. Uh, He's wanting to go to college, uh, but he hasn't quite left for college yet. So here he is uh, having dinner with his dad. You know, George, I wish we could send Harry to college with you. Your mother and I talked it over half the night. Mm. We have that all figured out. You see, Harry will take my job in the building alone, work there for four years, and then he'll go. Pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. Well, you were born older, George. All right. I say you were born older. I suppose you've decided what you want to do when you get out of college. Oh, well, you know what I've always talked about, build things, 
Design new buildings, plan water and cities. All that stuff I've been talking about. Still after that first million before you're 30, huh? No, I'll sell for half that in cash. <laughs> Was it just a hope, but uh, you wouldn't consider coming back to the building alone, would you? Well, I... I... Well, Annie, wh wh why don't you draw up a chair? Then you'd be more comfortable and you could hear everything that's going on. I would if I thought I'd hear anything worth listening to. You would. I know it's soon to talk about it. No, not Pop. I... I couldn't. I... Uh... I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. The, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Pop. I didn't mean that. I, but I, it, it's this business of nickels and dimes and spending all your life trying to figure out how to save three cents and a length of pipe. I go crazy. I, I want to do something big and something important. You know, George, I feel that in a small way we're doing something important. It's satisfying a fundamental urge. It's deep in the race for a man to want his own roof and walls and fireplace. And we're helping him get those things in our shabby little office. I know, Pop. I, I know that. I, I, I wish I felt that uh, I, I've been hoarding pennies like a miser here in order to... Most of my friends have already finished college. I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. You're right, son. You see what I mean, don't you, Pop? This town is no place for any man unless he's willing to crawl to Potter. Now, you've got talent, son. I've seen it. You get yourself an education and get out of here. Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a great guy. Why, did you hear that, Annie? I heard it. It's about time one of you lunkheads said it. <laughs> okay, so... Here we have this the the scene where he's wanting to go to college and he's got all these plans. He's excited about it. And his dad drops this little bit of a bomb on him. He's like, would you <laughs> yeah. possibly consider after college coming back here and running the business and loan, which is his dad's um, his dad is the secretary uh, of the business right. and loan or the sorry, the um, uh, building and loan. Sorry. Building and loan. That's so right. it's like a it's like a mortgage company. And right. so um so anyway, he's he's um he's now almost putting a little bit of a guilt trip on him. You can tell that the dad's feelings get hurt whenever he yeah. says, you know, I can't stand the thought of of being in a shabby being little office. Little office, that's right. And you know, he has these hopes and dreams to go off and see Europe and, you know, all the great marvels and he has all that plan. And then his dad drops that on him and it, it's almost like, well, no, I have all these hopes and dreams. There's no way that I could, you know, sacrifice this to stay in this town. And he, and he continually calls the town. What is it? Uh, something falls. I forget the name of it. Bedford, but, falls. Uh, Bedford falls. He keeps calling it this crummy little town, right? This, yeah. this terrible little town. And uh, but he ends up, you know, making a decision that's that's not for himself in this. Yeah, which is pretty incredible. So yeah, it, so after we get this, and uh, there's also, by the way, a very interesting point in this clip is that Jimmy Stewart, uh, George Bailey, um, admits something here at the end, and that is he he. 
admires his dad. He admires what his dad has done. He sees it as noble. He understands, no, this, this town is being run by a tyrant, and this little company has been the only escape for many of the poor people in town. The only way these poor people can, can live outside of the slums that uh, Potter has established is to uh, go through this building and loan. And so right. he, he understands that. He understands the need for it. Um, and so he, he honors his dad. He says, I think you're a great guy. Like, and what's, what's the irony in this is that whatever it is he's seeing in his dad, he has that too. Like he doesn't realize it, but he has that, that same attribute that he is admiring in his dad. He has it too. And, um, and so the, one of the, the strange turns here is, uh, this very night, the this very night, his dad's going to have a stroke, and right. um, and we jump forward a few months um, after the stroke, and the board, uh, the board of directors for the building and loan are meeting to determine what are we going to do now that Peter Bailey's dead. He he was holding this he was holding this building and loan together. He was the right. he was the building and loan, and now he's dead. Right. What are we going to do about it? And right. Cor- and pa- Potter, who is the who is sitting on like the chair of the board, right? Yes. Uh, decides that they should absolve it. <laughs> yes. So that he can basically, you know, defeat it once and for all and take it, take over the town. Yeah. Right. He's got and, everything and- in town except for the building alone. <laughs> Right. And Jimmy has been for the, not Jimmy, sorry, George, Jimmy Stewart. George has, George has been for the past few months after his dad died, he's been, you know, stepping in and filling in his dad's shoes. And he sacrificed going to, you know, Europe and touring and doing all this stuff simply because, yeah, uh, not college yet, but he's thought about sacrificing college. He's almost there. And, uh, and, you know, so now is his chance. Mm-hmm. to get out in fact what he has a he has this brief briefcase that's embroidered with his name and he's ready to go yes and uh <laughs> he's got his money so saved. he's faced with that's right he's faced with yet another choice and he's already chose to sacrifice that trip but he didn't want to sacrifice college he was going to yes. go to college he's ready to go to college uh, in fact this is the break right. this 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 meeting about what to do with the building loan happens on the brink of him getting ready to leave to go to college. And he's like, okay, I'm turning right. it over to the board. It's y'all's decision. Y'all can handle it from here. And so then we get right. this, then we get this scene here. What is that, Gettys? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute. Just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny-ante building alone, I'll never know. But... Neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Probably... 
Here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they, what'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait, wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them, until they're so old and broken down that they, do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I... You're the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on. So, yeah, he really puts Potter in his place in this clip and, uh, and basically One says... One of the best, yeah. Yeah, he just, he, he, he really uh, sets, it, sets it up. And what this meeting does and what his inspirational speech does... So, by the way, this is also his character that is showing up. Like, he is defending his dad's honor. He's defending the right. people of the town that are working and breathing and living and dying. <laughs> and is it too much to ask that they have a bed? And, you know, so, uh, <laughs> so he's, he's like got this, he, you can tell he is passionate about this and passion sells and people see leadership. And so the board sees George Bailey as the hero who's going to take over and and lead this thing. Well, that's not George's plan. Right. <laughs> George's plan is college. Um, right, exactly. And so they decide to vote against Potter under one condition, that George Bailey run the building and loan. Yeah. And now and he's... So, you know, he, he's stuck with this conundrum, you know, mm. do I let all these people down and do I let this town, this crummy old town down uh, and go to college and do my hopes and dreams or do I step in and take over and defend my my dad's honor and continue running this and fight against Potter's hostile takeover of the town? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that next scene when, when the guy walks in and he... He gave him, you know, the good news, quote unquote, yeah. uh, that they voted against Potter's, uh, you know, decision to, to close down and liquidate the, the, the building alone and that, that uh, they wanted George to run it. You know, you see on his face the the struggle, the mm. the turmoil, the inner turmoil that's going on in him when he decides, okay, all right, for a little bit longer, I'll hold things together, right? Yeah, and so he decides to stay with the building and loan and take care of it, but he makes a deal with his brother <laughs> that when his brother gets back from college, mm -hmm. that his brother will take over the business and loan, and he'll finally be able to be free to pursue his dreams. Right. Yes. So there's two major sacrifices that happen at this moment. One, he sacrifices by staying and taking over the building and loan himself. And then he sacrifices the savings 
that he saved for himself to go to college. He just said right. in the speech, my dad did not save enough money for me to go to college, let alone my brother to go to college. Right. So uh, he gives his college savings to his brother, like you said, with this understanding that Harry was going to go to college and come back and then take over his place. They they yeah. kind of worked it out, apparently, that this was what was going to happen. But there is a twist <laughs> again. That's right. So uh, now I, we, we have, uh, well, we have four years pass. Harry comes back from college. And surprise, he's got a wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is, this is another heartbreaking scene for me because, you know, he's walking uh, with his uncle in the at the train station and he has these pamphlets he's carrying yes. along with him yes that show all these jobs all the places he's he, gonna go yeah you're right you know he you know and you read on one of them europe and he's like wanted a you know an engineer with background he's like i could do all these things i can go anywhere now i'm free man and then his brother steps off the train with the wife and with a job opportunity <laughs> yes <laughs> With his father-in-law. From her dad. That's yes. right. So and it's, you immediately see that he's going to sacrifice himself again. Yeah, he's torn. And his brother even says, look, I, you know, she spoke out of turn. I haven't made that decision yet. Uh, I, I told you I'd come back and do this, and I'm, I'm going to stand by that. And instead of saying, okay, because you promised, like, you know, a lot of us would. I mean, that would be like, okay. Instead, right. he goes to her and he's like, is this a good job? And she said, yeah, he doesn't pay, a mu pay much, but it has great opportunity. And it's exactly what Harry was born to do. And whenever, right. whenever George hears that, you can tell at that moment, he's not going to hold Harry to their deal. Like he's going to yeah. let him go. But he's so angry about it. Yes. And the next scene is so brilliant. It shows his anger. Uh, and, you know, when he he goes back to Mary, right? Mm -hmm. His mom sends him a courting. Yeah. And he goes to Mary's house. You can see the anger. Oh, like, he's mad. That entire he, scene. When he grabs her, because he knows that, like, marrying Mary yeah. is going to put a nail in the coffin of his dreams. Yeah, it's going to keep right? him there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And but he so, loves her. Like, he <laughs> yeah. And this is such an odd scene, too, because, like, it's it's anti-romantic, and it's so romantic. Mm -hmm. Like, he's he grabs her and shakes her. Yeah, because they're on the phone <laughs> with Sam Wainwright, who is his right. friend, who's offering them the, the, the opportunity of a lifetime. And yeah. the whole time Sam is talking on the phone, they're locking eyes, and they're realizing... Right that they are in love, that, that they were meant for one another. This is it. And, uh, yep. but he doesn't, his outward person doesn't want this. And he's like, right. look, I'm not getting married ever. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't want ground floors. I don't want, I just, I just want to go <laughs> do things and build stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it's a weird, um, it's a weird scene, but it leads to, Basically, their marriage. They get they get married, and right. 
so they are they're getting ready to finally okay a little gimme let's at least travel for our honeymoon so they've got a couple yeah of, so they're a couple of thousand dollars saved up <laughs> for this trip that they're going to take together on their honeymoon but while while they're leaving the church it's raining and disaster strikes um, right we we get the market fell uh the there's a run on the banks uh there's chaos yep. in the streets um and so i've got i got a clip for this so th- th- he runs Wait, into before the before that before that clip I you know one of the one of the another great scene is you know who is it is it Bert or is it Ernie that's driving the taxi? Uh, Ernie. Ernie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Ernie's driving the taxi and he has a choice because it's in his rear view mirror. All this stuff is in his rear view mirror. Yes. He's he could just continue driving mm-hmm. if he wanted to. In fact, Mary and, and, is saying, "Don't get out. Don't get out of the car." Right. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. And even Ernie is saying that, dude, don't get out of the car. Just let someone else worry keep, about it. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going. You know, yes. and he, he makes the eternal decision that leads to this clip to get out of the car and take care of business. So yeah. go ahead. So there's a mob at the bank. Uh, Uncle Billy yeah. has locked the doors because Uncle Billy is a little bit of a stooge, but, uh, <laughs> but, he, but he has some cool pets, by the way. He does. So, so anyway, <laughs> so this is a clip inside the bank while he's trying to convince their customers, uh, the people of the town, not to panic over this uh, Great Depression that's about to hit. Uh, but anyway, right. this is, this, here's the clip. Tom, did you get your money? No. Well, I did. Old man Potter will pay 50 cents on the dollar for every share you got. <laughs> yes, cash. Well, what do you say? Tom, you have to stick to your original agreement. Now, give us 60 days on this. Okay, thing. Randall. Are you going to Potter's? Better to get half than nothing. I'm going to Tom. I need to Randall, now, Randall, wait. Now, wait. Now, listen. Now, listen to me. I, I beg of you not to do this thing. If Potter gets a hold of this building and alone, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the bank. He's got the bus line. He's got the department stores. And now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple. Because we're cutting in on his business. That's why. Because he wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. Joe, you had one of those Potter houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken down shack? Here, Ed, you know, you remember last year when things weren't going so well and you couldn't make your payments? Well, you didn't lose your house, did you? You think Potter would have let you keep it? Can't you understand what's happening here? Don't you see what's happening? Potter isn't selling, Potter's buying. And why? Because we're panicky and he's not. That's why. He's picking up some bargains. Now, we, we can get through this thing, all right. We, we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? I've got Dr. Bruce to pay. I need cash. I can't keep my kids on faith. I've got to have... How much do you need? Hey! I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? $242. Oh, Tom, just enough to tide you over until the bank reopens. I'll take $242. There you are. That'll close my account. Your account's still here. That's a loan. Okay. All right, Ed. Well, I got $300 here, George. All right, now, Ed, what will it take until the bank opens? What, what do you need? Well, I, I suppose... 
$20.20, Bill. Now you're talking. Thanks, Ed. That's fine. All right, now, Miss Thompson, how much do you want? But it's your own money, now, George. Don't mind about that. How much do you want? Well, I can get along with $20, all right. $20, fine. And I'll sign there the papers. You don't have to sign anything. I know. You, you pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Could I have $17.50? That's your hard course you can have. You got $0.50, cents. Okay, so there's so many cool things about this scene. So uh, one of the things is his statement, you got to have faith. When everyone's panicking, he was like, you have to have faith in each other. Um, and I would argue faith outside of that, too, like faith in God. And But he's not he's not relying on God at this, at this point, but he's got this right. heart. Like, he's like, you got to have faith in each other. Yeah. And, and uh, everyone's like, yes, but I've got doctor bills. I got this. My husband hasn't worked in years. Like there's just, everyone is panicking because all their money's gone. And then Mary holds up <laughs> the wad of cash they had for their honeymoon and says, how much do you need? Yeah. And he's like, yes. Like he doesn't even hesitate. We have $2,000. Right. And, uh when he's handing out the funds, it's a good picture of what people are really like. The first guy's like, I'll take $242. (laughs) And he's like, just how much can we'll hold you over? I'll take $242. It's like, okay, that'll close my account. No, that's a loan. Like, (laughs) yeah. But but then you have the other person. I love uh, the one lady that says, but George, it's your own money. And he's like, yep. don't worry about that. Like this is, there's a point in that, in that character. Like that character is showing us, look, this is George's heart. Like this is his heart for giving. This is his heart for, for caring for other people and his heart for self-sacrifice that is coming out. And of course, that very last one, I saw a thing on that one time. That actress, uh, that was not the line that was written. He says, "How much do you really? do you need?" And she says, "Can I have seventeen fifty? Yes. She made that up. Like she picked a very specific number. Like that wasn't in the script. And whenever she says that, Jimmy Stewart's re- reaction to it was was uh, he laughed like he thought it was funny. And so he grabs her and kisses her on the forehead. Of course you can have 1750. Like that, all that was improv improv. I thought that was kind of cool. So I think a couple of the, a couple of um, a big thing in this scene for me is the infectiousness of his selflessness. So you see it take on first with Mary you know, mm-hmm. she chooses, she's the one that suggests sacrificing that money to begin with. Yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, it, it, his, his selflessness has led her to be selfless. And then all the other people start to become selfless. They start to think outside of themselves yes. and care for other people instead of their own needs and they only take what you know except for the first guy they only take what they need to get by for a week or two right instead of making a run or choosing 50 cents on the dollar which is what potter's offering over at the the other side you know at the bank and so 
Uh, he could have very easily been bought out, and yet these people are selfless just like he's being selfless. And uh, it's, it's a great picture of how you can infect others around you with that kind of love and with that kind mm -hmm. of, of selfless act. So practice what you preach, right? What did he just preach? Have right. faith in one another. Like we can get through yeah. this if we stick together. And then he puts his money literally where his mouth was. And so what we're starting to see here is this heart of sacrifice that he has, but doesn't realize that he has because right. he is so focused on his goals and aspirations and, and this sort of thing. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about his discontentment. So, sure. uh, and so to me, I think too many people when they're analyzing this film focus too much on his discontentment. I don't think it's his, I don't think it's so much as discontentment as it is uh, a blindness of seeing the value inside of him. Like he's got this natural thing that he doesn't see. Uh, so he's discontent because he sees the appearance of other people's success around him and he's not enjoying it. He has FOMO, mm -hmm. you know, the feeling mm -hmm. of missing out. He's like, you know, I'm not traveling and my friends are traveling and, and uh, he never gets to do any of the things he's dreamed about. But the thing that I wanted to focus in this little section about discontentment and about his focus being on his goals and not on the inside is this is where Mary comes in. I love the Mary George relationship here because Mary doesn't care about the hopes and dreams. Like she's not aspiring <laughs> to travel. She's not aspiring to doing great things. She's not aspiring to building things like all the things that are exciting to, to George what she wants is him. Like she's focused on him from the time they're children. They, they have this connection and he is so focused on what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. But she sees the real George. She sees what's underneath those dreams. And, and she's focused on that. So I've got a couple of clips I want to play. Uh, first off is the clip when... Um, they're young. So this is when George, when he's 12, he's working in the drugstore, which is also a uh, ice cream parlor. And, um, mm -hmm. and Mary comes in and she's about to order some ice cream. So uh, here's that clip. Made up your mind yet? I'll take chocolate. With coconuts? I don't like coconuts. You don't like coconuts? Say, Brainless, don't you know where coconuts come from? Look at here. From Tahiti, the Fiji Islands, the Coral Sea. A new magazine. I never saw it before. Of course you never. Only us explorers can get it. I've been nominated for membership in the National Geographic Society. Is this the year you can't hear on? George Bailey, I'll love you till the day I die. I'm going out exploring someday. You watch. And I'm going to have a couple of harems and maybe three or four wives. Wait and see. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I love this conversation. <laughs> so, so he's like, she, she's taking a long time deciding what kind of ice cream she wants because Violet's in there and she wants to kind of wait until right. Violet leaves. And then, right. and then she's like, okay, I'll take chocolate. She's really not interested in the ice cream at all. <laughs> she's interested in George and George right. is like, well, you want coconuts with that? And then they had this whole conversation about <laughs> coconuts. And his whole point is that adventure, travel, these coconuts come from exotic places in the world that I'm going to go to one day. And he's got all this. Right. And she doesn't hear any of that. Like she uh -oh. leans over while he's, while he's got his head turned and whispers in his bad ear, George Bailey, I love you till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes up out of so from beautiful. leaning over he's like I'm going to have harems and I'm going to have multiple wives you wait and see <laughs> <laughs> so great oh so my he, goodness so the yeah, interplay there is brilliant <laughs> so he just has his focus is on the wrong place like he's got this great heart but he's focused outside like he's not focused on the internal things but she's focused on the internal things and so um much later like right before this whole thing with the build, building and loan happens right before his dad has a stroke he uh goes to uh, the senior prom he's not a senior he's his younger brother's senior prom but he but he's invited to come to the senior prom as a as a chaperone i think anyway he ends up dancing with Mary, meeting Mary again. Now she's no longer the right. little girl. He, now she's this beautiful young woman. And, right. uh, and so they have this, this, um, this kind of a romantic thing. They're leaving the prom. And, um, of course I got to talk about this, this one scene first. They do this dance competition. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a Charleston, it's a Charleston dance competition. And, uh, this guy who's jealous over her uh, causes the floor of the gym to open up because there's a swimming pool underneath it. And it opens right. up. And of course, George and Mary don't see it opening because they've got their back to it. <laughs> and they're just to continue to dance and they fall into the pool. Well, then it causes everyone to jump into the pool. And so it's this crazy scene. Yeah. I love beautiful scene. I love that scene so much. So anyway, anyway, they come out of, and they're wet. So she's wearing a robe that they apparently got out of the gym. And he's wearing like a football <laughs> uniform. And he's walking her home. And so uh, I want to play a clip here, too, because this is where they're getting to know each other. And this actually starts the romance between them. But you can also, um, you can also hear his dreams and aspirations. It's still that same relationship we saw in the, in the ice cream parlor. Right. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? 
Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? tonight can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What do you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, no. tell me. If I don't, it might not come through. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolve, see? And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Why don't you kiss her instead of talking to her, death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Hey. <laughs> so youth is wasted on the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant scene. And this is the most famous and iconic scene of the entire movie, I think, besides mm. the the very end. Yeah. But that, you know, the lasso the moon speech is brilliant. Yes. I absolutely love it. And the Goodness. thing that I that I love is this juxtaposition between her and him in that in the start of the clip, he was saying, I'm going to shake the dust off of this my feet of this crummy little town and I'm going to see the world. And he starts going right. on to all his he's repeating all these dreams that he has. And um, they're they're throwing rocks at the house that they will ultimately live in. <laughs> Right, but they throw a rock and it breaks out the glass. And if it, if you break out a piece of glass, your wish is supposed to come true. And so he says, "What did right. you wish for?" And she doesn't tell him. Um, and it's not anything about travel, and it's not about all this sort of thing. We find out later when they get married, and they no longer can go on the honeymoon, and they end up staying the night in this old house for their honeymoon. And she's made this ugly. Uh, run down old house into this romantic little honeymoon uh, cottage. Chateau. Yes, like yeah. like she's got she's got the 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 chickens roasting over the the fire, yeah. and she's got the little phonograph playing and all this, and the candlelight going, and he just is in awe of her. Yeah, and and he goes over there, and he he holds her, and she looks up at him, and she says, "This." is what I wished for when I threw that rock. <laughs> oh, man. Just, because, okay, so he was wishing for travel and adventure and all this stuff, but what right. she wanted was him. Like, she was so, she saw who he was. Even though he couldn't see his value outside of the travel and the adventure, she could. And so, because of his lack of understanding of how important these sacrifices have been, he, whenever push comes to shove and they lose, potentially lose everything because of Uncle Billy's mistake. Uncle Billy lost right. basically the entire deposit, um, which was like eight grand, which in that day, that would have been like, equivalent to say a hundred thousand dollars today. Like it was right. a lot of money. And, a lot of money, yep. 
and they didn't have the money for this. And, and the bank examiner was there in town. Like, he's like, we're going to jail. Like, when this comes yep. out, the, uh, Uncle Billy lost the money, and, and I'm going, I'm the one who's going to go to jail. And yep. he falls into such a depression over this. Like, he's just been skating on the edge. And then this cycle of events happens. He gets into a fight with his little girl's teacher. He ends he ends up at the bar praying for help and gets slugged by that teacher's husband. Husband, <laughs> yep. Like the, and then he gets in his car drunk and he runs into a tree and gets griped yep. out by the tree's owner. Like it's just like one thing after another. And it leads him to the edge of the bridge. And he has this insurance claim in his pocket the entire time. Yeah. And he's thinking, yeah, it would have been better, you know, if I just die. And, oh my goodness. So, you know, all this discontentment in his life, even though he's made all these sacrifices and taken care of everybody, he still feels that nagging discontentment of the fact that he never got to go do what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and it, you know, and it, and it culminates in this, the bridge scene, which is just iconic. Yeah. But, so, uh, so you mentioned, ahead. you mentioned like earlier about how we first meet George is in a picture of him saving his brother from right. the water. And there's one thing that one of the angels tells, uh, so these angels are watching this. Um, one of them's name's Joseph and the other one's name's Clarence. And, and Joseph tells uh, Clarence, now pay attention to this, to this scene because it's going to be important. And we see why it, this scene, because now George is the one about to go into the freezing water because right. he's, he's about to commit suicide. And, uh, and Clarence, the angel, <laughs> shows up. And jumps in the water first. <laughs> and so what does George do? He, without thinking, jumps in to save Clarence. Yep. Which is brilliant. I mean, it's like I said, it's a bookend, you know, scene. And it's a it's an important one for the theme of the of the movie. Yeah. You know, something we hadn't touched on the on the discontentment too is that scene where Sam comes back home and he's Oh yes. With his wife and, uh, and you know, he has all this money, this rich money. And, and he basically says to George, you know, I offered you the ground floor, you know, to get in on this and, and you chose not to. And he's like, we're about to head off to New York or someplace. And, mm -hmm. uh, no Florida, we're about to head yeah. off to Florida and vacation. Why don't you come with us? And, and George is like, I can't because. I basically don't have any money, yeah. right? And then right after that, we have this chance that George has to Potter offers him yeah. a job. It's almost like a deal with the devil scenario. Yeah, Potter tries to buy him out. Potter tries to buy him out. And you see George really contemplating this. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to take this for once. I'm going to get what's mine, right? Yeah. And he, he had a chance, and he chose not to. And then all of this culminates in, in Clarence, like you said, jumping in the river and George 
without even thinking about it, jumping in after him. Yeah. So, so we ha- so we have you know what follows is uh, of course the famous scene where um, while they're drying off after um, George jumped in to save Clarence. Um, George basically makes the statement about how horrible life is and and right. how how um, his life isn't worth anything and that he shouldn't have ever been born. And uh, Clarence says, hey, that's a good idea. I'll show you what life would have been like had you never been born. And, of course, this is the famous scene where he goes around town and now town has changed. It's not right. what it was. It's now Potterville. And, and there's a bar like every shop is a bar or a dance hall <laughs> yeah it's like a very scene. interesting yeah. like yeah it's a it's a vegas scene right <laughs> yeah oh, it's very disreputable reputable and it's like seedy and he he runs across uh violet who he helped before and now she's like a woman of the street and I mean, right. it's just like one thing after another. He finds his wife. She's a, she's an old maid. She's a spinster. She's, you know, a librarian. <laughs> and You know what this reminded me of, by the way? This is totally off topic, but it reminded me of the scene in Back to the Future 2 when uh, Michael J. Fox, like, the, that Biff gets a hold of the betting yes. book. Yes, And, like, he goes back to the new future or back to the new present, and it's... Like Biff owns everything in town, and he has this giant casino in the middle of town, and yeah, like everything's messed his up. His mom's basically a prostitute at the same time, and yeah. he's all jacked up. Anyways, go ahead. Well, he basically so. just kind of recapping that he he sees all these people whose lives he touched, and they are in horrible situations because he wasn't there to do whatever it what whatever it was he did in sacrifice for them. Right. Uh, the druggist, uh, he stopped the druggist from giving poison to somebody. And now that druggist has got a horrible life because of it. Cause he killed, yep. you know, some kid. And then, uh, his brother, Harry, uh, died as a child in the right. pond. And so as a result, Harry grew up to be a war hero and he saved all these people on this battleship. And, uh, that never happened. All those people on that battleship died. And and right. so it's like this butterfly effect. He's just showing him you've had a wonderful life, and that's where we get the title. Yeah, it doesn't matter that you didn't travel. You had a wonderful life, and of course, all of this culminates with George crying at the bridge again, saying, "I want to live, God, please, God, let me live." And right. then he comes back, and he's in his his uh, his his regular life. And uh, his his lips bleeding from when he got punched in the bar, and he's all excited. He's like, "My lips bleeding, my lips bleeding." Yeah. And uh, Zuzu's petals. His daughter gave him uh, petals to a rose, and he had them in his pocket. And he realized right. they were still there. His daughter still existed. His wife was still at home waiting for him. Like he realized just how important it was. But the thing that I wanted to focus on is that. It's not just about him realizing my life was better than I thought it was. To me, it's deeper than this. One of the things that I think George learns is that his his life, he personally was valuable. And that people cared about him 
people loved him. And right. that's why at the very end, Harry goes, here's to my brother, George, the richest man in town. It had nothing to do with the money. It had to do right. with, with, with how he had everything any man could ever dream of. And, um, and so the value was just, um, I think, what, what did Clarence write in um, the Tom Sawyer book that he gives him at the end? It's, you know, um, a man who's rich who has friends, or I can't remember exactly right. what, what the quote said, but it was about having friends and about how life is more important than our dreams. It's more important than our adventures and this sort of thing. And so right. it made me think well, of, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. One of the things that that I think of is what is George's what 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 does George base his decision on wanting to come back to his life? Um, is it because you know he sees it's a wonderful life, or does he see that him living made everybody else's life wonderful? Mm. Yes. And my thing is, is his decision. Because he could have very easily taken Clarence's gift, quote unquote, of removing him as though he'd never existed. And now he's free to do whatever he wants. He could go to, you know, Timbuktu and become, a, you know, an engineer and build bridges and stuff. He could get a harem <laughs> with a ton of wives and, and do all this stuff. But instead, he decides that the reason that he earnestly wants to get back to his life is simply because it made everybody else's life around him so much better and, and included the whole, the, the entire town. It was better because of him. Yeah. And so the wonderful life is your blessing to other people. Yes. And the value, that's where the value lies, right? Yes. yes. In your blessing, being a blessing to other people, not your own selfish desires but blessing other people, which is yes, a great picture of Jesus, by the way. <laughs> yes, he's realizing that, um, and basically this all happens whenever he turns to God. I right. Mean, this, this is at the end of the, of the show, whenever he actually comes back to reality is whenever he says, I want to live, God, I want to live. And uh, which is the cry of a convert. Like that's why that's initially why we come to Jesus. We want to live because he's the giver of life and the giver of life abundantly. And so, right. but you know, it, when Jesus died on the cross for us, it's because we have an eternal worth to him. And so this is a picture of him learning about his worth. And so uh, the same way, even though we are all depraved and we're all worthless in, some, in a certain way, to to Jesus, to God, we are of uh, invaluable, eternal worth. And that's why he died for us. You know, we can all quote John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he's he loves us enough that he's going to, that he is going to, uh, to give us this. And he is going to come down and walk among us, walk among us and be born in the flesh and go through all the junk that George Bailey and everybody else has gone through in order to pay for us, to actually purchase us. And so to me, this is where uh, it gets real <clears throat> is because 
uh, not necessarily because he realizes his life wasn't so bad after all. To me, that's not the point. If that's what you're getting out of it, you're missing the point. The point is that selfless sacrifice, the things that he already had in his heart was a picture of Christ, was a picture of God, was a picture of what Jesus wants out of us as his bride anyway. And so it was like, your wife could see it. Mary saw it from the time you were a child. She she wasn't focused on what you could do as far as uh, adventures and et cetera. She was she was interested in his in his heart. And so I want to play this one clip of when when he rescues Clarence because uh, I think there's an important thing that that a lesson that he could learn from what Clarence even says here. Uh, so I'm going to play this clip. I didn't have time to get some stylish underwear. Wife gave me this on my last birthday. <laughs> I passed away in it. Oh, Tom Sawyer's drying out too. You should read the new book Mark Twain's writing now. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. You what? To save me? Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. Where do you come from? Heaven. I had to act quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, Very funny. Your lip's bleeding, George. Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you, then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2. What's that? AS2. Angel, second class. (laughs) Okay, so so this is where we meet Clarence. And to me, Clarence tells him right here. Like, he explains everything in that one little... He didn't have to really take him back to show him he had a wonderful life. Like, he didn't... He tells him right here. He's like, I saved you. And he was like, saved me? And he was like, yeah... And he was like, well, why'd you fall in? He was like, I didn't fall in. You see, I knew, I knew that if I jumped in, you would jump in and save me. How did he know that? He knew that because he knew George's value. He knew what George was worth. And even though George didn't know it, like he was like, what are you talking about? Like he, it didn't even occur to him that that's a trait of his and and he's saying I saved you by doing that like that's I'm showing you who you are and and so uh, and of course George still doesn't get it at the end of the clip and it, and it takes you know this whole drama that that comes after this before he actually gets it <clears throat> but what what we find out is that George Bailey really was a man after God's own heart. And that's what he didn't recognize. And so kind of, 
I think that the, the, the main thing that we can get out of this is that, um, is that we are worth more than we realize. And it doesn't matter if we achieve all our goals or not. What matters is how we love others. Right. And how we take what, how we do what Jesus did for us as much as we can back to others. Amen. And George was already doing that and didn't even know it. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So it shows, I mean... um, it's a perfect uh, picture of the, the purpose, what we're called to do, which is which is love others, and that's what makes love God and love others, and that's what makes a wonderful life a wonderful life, right? Um, and, right. And so the Shema. Yeah, exactly. It. I. I just. You know, it's incredible. So, anyways, man, what a well. Well, you know, I want uh, to to leave everybody with with this um, this thing I, I caught today. I've seen this movie tons of times, but, but because I was looking at it through this lens, I caught this today. So the clip that I played earlier with them in the bank, yeah, with on the run on the bank. Before this all happens, George goes into the office with with good old Uncle Billy, and he's like, "Why you lock the doors?" Like. <laughs> Billy's like, I panicked. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and, 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 and he's trying to figure out how to fix this. And he doesn't know what to do. And he looks up at the picture of his dad that's hanging in his office. Almost like he's, he's asking his dad, what do I do? Remember the very first whenever uh, old man Gower put the poison in the yeah in the thing and he didn't know what to do at that point and he looked up and he saw the sign that says ask dad he knows <laughs> and and so we see like that an echo of that because he's in the office and he looks up at his dad's picture like he's looking for answers and there's a plaque mounted on the wall underneath dad's picture that I'd never noticed before and this is what the plaque said all you can take with you is that which you have given away. <laughs> wow, I never realized that either. That's incredible. And I'm like, this happens right before he gives away his honeymoon money. Yeah. And and it's <laughs> like the whole the whole picture of his worth was right there on that plaque in his yeah. office the whole time. And so incredible. I think that to me, that sums this movie up. All right. you can take with you is what you have given, given away. away. Amen. Yeah. Beautiful. So, Whew. all right. What's so your favorite you scene? Have... What's your favorite scene in the movie? Oh goodness. So yeah, I I've got uh, okay. I mentioned the senior prom. Yeah. I love. I just love the dance scene. I love them falling in the pool, and I love how everyone starts jumping in the pool. Right. Uh, and of course I love, I love the walk home. That's, that's, you know, the, the, I love the, the, love it whenever she gets spooked and falls into the bush without her robe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was and he's starting to give her the robe and then he's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Man doesn't find himself in a situation like this very often. <laughs> he's like, I've read about situations like this. Right. So I like that. Um, Another one of my favorites is, um, is (laughs) 
whenever they're celebrating um, Harry's um, wedding and Uncle Billy gets drunk. Oh. And, and un- <laughs> yeah. And Uncle Billy... Uncle Billy is like um is like getting ready to to leave. And uh this by the way was another thing I saw was uh, completely ad-libbed. Yep. So he's getting ready to leave and he's like all right, old building and loan buddy and pal, you know, and he's like <laughs> his arm around and uh <laughs> He, he's like, where did I put my hat? And he's got his hat on his head. Like, so he's just like drunk out of his gourd. And, uh, and George directs him. Okay, this is the direction you need to go. Points him in the right direction and he's walking away. Well, then you hear off camera this crashing noise, right? Well, the actor tripped over some things on the set after he left the frame, like it what this was not planned. He literally right. tripped, yeah, over tripped over something <laughs> and, fell, and it crashed. And so you can actually see the look on Jimmy Stewart's face. He really doesn't know that the word that was like a, a look of surprise. He looks up yeah. and then you hear the actor go, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> like none of that was planned. None of it's in the script. So I thought that was really, Funny, but I guess I I gotta say, my favorite scene is is um, you know aside from the ones that are just tried and true, is the one where he actually comes home from the run on the bank scene, and she is she's got the his honeymoon suite prepared. That's my favorite scene. Like the look on his face when he sees her and he just realizes he loves her so much, and. She says, this is what I wished for. <laughs> a rotted old house, but with, with him. you, yeah. And that made it a home. And yeah. she's like, this is what I wished for. That's like my favorite part <laughs> of the whole movie. Yeah. So what I mean, about you? Mine are basically the exact same ones as yours. I, uh, I, of course, love the end. Like that just, it makes you just feel good all over. And, uh, Mm. uh, you know, when the, the, the daughter starts playing, um, what song is it? Uh, heart, the Herald angels, heart, the Herald angels sing. Yeah. And they start singing singing, uh, old Lang Syne at the end. It's beautiful. I mean, it's just perfect. So anyways, it's such a good movie. It's, it's amazing. And you should watch it every Christmas. (laughs) Just remind yourself. Yeah, it's it's so super good. It never gets old to me. Nope. Like I can I can watch that movie over and over and over again. Me too. And, uh, and it's it's kind of interesting. Like it's over two hours long. It's a uh, yeah. It's a it's a it's a pretty lengthy piece, but it's man, it's so good. It's classic. So, all right, good buddy, you wanna you wanna get out of here? Yeah, let's. You want you want the moon? I'll give you the moon. You can you can swallow it. Yeah, you see, and it'll dissolve. Okay. Shoot out me your fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network. That's I'm you reading the wrong script. I'm <laughs> just say Theopop. Theo Pop. There you go. Theo. 
Theopop is part of the Great Commission Transmission Network. Using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. Uh, hold on. Wait just a second. You lost your script? I did. Okay, there we go. Visit our website at theonotspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, which is 972-885-7270. Like us and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. And if you like us and want even more Theonauts and Theopop, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore some Theopop goodness with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David. Talk to you later. This has been Theopop. Call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at gctnetwork.com. This is your Great Commission Transmission. Don't you ever get tired of just reading about things? Yes. What are you doing tonight? Nothing. Are you game vile? Let's make a night of it. Oh, I'd love it, Georgie. What'll we do? Let's go out in the fields and take off our shoes and walk through the grass. Huh? Then we can go up to the falls. It's beautiful up there in the moonlight. And there's a green pool up there, and we, we can uh, s- swim in it. And then we can climb Mount Bedford and smell the pines and watch the sunrise against the peaks, and we'll stay up there the whole night, and everybody will be talking. There'll be a terrific scandal. Georgie, what about have you gone crazy? No, Why, walking the grass in my bare feet? <laughs> Why, it's 10 miles up to Mount Bedford. Oh, oh, oh okay, just to forget go about the whole thing. <laughs> Look at the bottle you took the powder from. It's poison, I tell you, it's poison. <laughs> <laughs>